Welcome to another distinct nostalgia by MIM. More than a podcast. We're kicking off our autumn season on distinct nostalgia by celebrating casualty at 35. And what better way to begin than by meeting the person who uttered the very first words back in September 1986. Ashley's been catching up with Debbie Rosa, who played Susie Mercia, the original casualty receptionist. Debbie gave up acting not long after leaving Casualty in the late 80s, and she now lives in Canada, from where she chatted to us about those amazing early days in the groundbreaking medical drama, which soon became popular the world over. Enjoy! Debbie, lovely to talk to you uh, all the way from Canada. Uh, We're 35 years, or nearly 35 years on, um, from the very first Casualty and am I right in saying that you actually uttered the very first words in Casualty? Uh, apparently, trivia says I did. Right. So, I think the first words were good night. <laughs> Seems good. ironic, but yes. <laughs> um, and, uh, I mean, it is a long time ago when we, when we were trying to set up the interview. You said, I can't believe it's 35 years. And and I know we'll talk about this a bit later. I know you did two series and then you... You went to Canada, you gave up acting, you, you, your life changed completely. But um, just take us back to what you were doing immediately before Casualty in sort of, say, 1985-ish and uh, build up to when you, you heard about the programme and, were, you know, were asked to maybe go and audition. Well, after I left school, I actually went to work at Polka Children's Theatre in Wimbledon and they were in the process of building the theatre. So... I helped with that construction and I actually worked, that's where I got my equity card was at Polka Children's Theatre because I was an acting stage manager in those days. You know, you could actually get your equity card from being in rep, you know. So I was in the very first production at um, Polka Children's Theatre and then I ended up doing a lot of backstage work uh, on a crew at Wimbledon Theatre, which was great. I, I did, uh, probably three years, four pantos, something like that. Um, and those were the days of like Frankie Howard and Larry Grayson, you know, like pantos were a big, big deal. I mean, they still are in the UK. Uh, so yes, um, I kind of honed my skills backstage and I was doing summer season in Eastbourne. Um, actually, I should backtrack because uh, the two guys that actually were running Wimbledon Theatre at the time, um, one of them owned a Greasy Spoon in Covent Garden. And uh, my colleague and I needed money, so we, we actually went to work at the Greasy Spoon. And across the road was a, an agent, and she used to come and get her coffee and lunches and things from us we were terrible we couldn't cook worth anything uh i think the builders used to come in just to laugh at us making a hash of whatever we were trying to cook (laughs) i was surprised we didn't blow the place up they had one of those um coffee urns that you had to light with a match and we'd sort of throw the match in and stand back and hope that we didn't blow the place up uh anyway uh i was doing summer season in eastbourne um, on, on the crew. And I got a call from the agent saying, was I interested in being on her books? And 
I had wanted to do more acting, but I just hadn't really had the opportunity at that point and I didn't have an agent. And so, uh, I said, why not? You know, I've got nothing to lose. So Judy was actually the first one to get me an audition for, uh, Juliet Bravo. And Garrett Morris was the producer of Juliet Bravo. So when I was uh, sent up for Casualty, um, he was the producer on Casualty too. Um, but I had been put up for a, a role in Albion Market, which was very short-lived. Uh, I think it lasted sort of three months or something like that. Um, but I was offered the role. So I'd, I'd gone for the auditions the same week. And on the Friday, I got offered Albion Market, but I actually called my agent and said, look, I really want Casualty. Uh, any chance you can talk to Garrett and see if I'm in the running? So she called him and told him that I'd been offered another part. And so he actually then went to bat for me and I was offered Casualty on the Monday. So that's it was a good choice on my part. <laughs> Three months or two years. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, did you? So did you ever get a part in Juliet Bravo then at all? I did. I, I had a very small part and I was supposed to film it in Burnley, but they got behind in filming. So they ended up filming in a disused hospital in Richmond. And I was supposed to be playing a 14-year-old. I think I was probably about 21 or something like that at the time. And they gave me this coat, which was too small for me. And so I was standing there in the corridor trying to make this coat work and not look like it was too small for me. And I had to, I had to have a, a Burnley accent as well, which was interesting to say the least. If you look on the Distinct Nostalgia uh, player when we've done this, you'll, you'll hear an interview of which we put together, Stephanie and Anna together yes. um and they both obviously they didn't well they never starred together in the series but they reminisce about how different it was for them both you know what i mean because obviously they were 50 50 really in terms of the um that's you know, right yeah so, so. I, I did that i actually did um a minder as well with uh dennis waterman and um uh george cole um you know if i was going to do a small part i seem to end up with the stars so i thought that was pretty good and you, <laughs> men- you mentioned Albion Market, where I'm sitting here, it, it, literally a few, well, a few hundred yards away from it, uh, from where it was, because um, I lived right in the city centre of Manchester, because it was just literally behind the the old Granada back lot was where it was. That's kind of right, yeah. yeah. And you're right, it didn't last long, did it? <laughs> it was a- well, ironically, Jeff Leasley was in that show, and he ended up on Casualty as well as one of the ambulance drivers. Um, but I had worked with Jeff before on a play for today um way back like and uh it was interesting because you know you sort of just start started to cross paths with different people and at the time there were probably about five of us that went up for the same role because they were going through this kind of um phase where uh there was a lot of immigration coming into the UK at the time. So they were making all of these different uh, programs about immigrants. So, um, and and really it was quite funny because I'd never been to India or Pakistan. I can't speak the language. I'm originally from South America um, and I'm a West Indian. So, you know, you go up for these roles and they'd ask you if you could speak Punjabi. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, 
And I do remember another friend of mine uh, who went for a role in Boone and he was asked if he could speak Punjabi. And he said, he said, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I said, you can't speak a word of Punjabi. You're from Birmingham. <laughs> so he did actually go home and practice. I don't know. <laughs> what What was the play for the play for today that you were in? It was uh, the the amazing Mistella Estelle, and it had Elaine Loudon in it. Um, and what, what Jeff Leasley? And what was it about then? What was the, what was the main focus of it? Um, uh, it was a it was about Elaine was uh, playing a girl that would go and sing in like a nightclub, um, and I was her best friend at school, and my my actual part was her at school that was my name her at school and they they backcombed my hair so I had this kind of like afro almost um because of course it was the 80s and you had to have that 80s big hair look um yeah I, I was in the era of shoulder pads and big hair but you never got a part in Dynasty or Dallas no, no. But, you know, when I was in casualty, I was the clothes horse. So uh, I had all the shoulder pads that one could want. <laughs> well, we'll talk um, specifically, obviously, about casualty in a moment. But you just mentioned those pantos. and You mentioned the era of people like Larry Grayson and uh, Frankie Howard and others. Um, did you get to meet any of these people in, in doing those pantos? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, I was a dresser on... Um, uh, on one of the pantos, it was Dick Whittington and it had Jan Hunt, uh, Roy Kinnear, and uh, who else was in that? It was, you know, in those days, people did panto because it was like, it was very prestigious to do panto. And Wimbledon had great pantos. They always had really big names. Um, and I, I actually am in some of the publicity shots because they could never get anyone to wear the costumes. And I was small then. So there's a picture of me dressed up as the, um, as Prince Charming because they hadn't cast the role yet, but as it transpired. So I was on the outside of the theater in this, in this publicity shot and they actually cast a man in the role who was sort of like 200 pounds. <laughs> so it looked kind of odd. Um, but there's also another picture of me in the Dick Whittington publicity shots dressed up as the cat so yes yeah but Jan Hunt was a was a sweetheart as was Roy Kinnear actually uh when whenever we went to do the quick changes you know Roy would come off and he he'd never get it right <laughs> but he was lovely yeah some characters from from back in the day weren't there um so yeah. on to casualty then so you got the part you what so you you mentioned that you were oh I really want casualty so you'd heard something about it then you knew there was something in the offing did you? Well, for one thing, it was a it was a a main character role, and it gave me an opportunity to. It's funny actually because they the writers called me and asked me what they what I wanted my surname to be, and I said, well, you know, my own name is Rosa. And my married name at the time was Mercier. And I said, you know, I just didn't want it to be Patel. I didn't want there to be this stereotype. And I felt that it was really important to show that not everyone 
who looks like me has to be a stereotype. So uh, when I came in for the first reading, uh, the script said Debbie Rosa playing Susie Mercier. So my husband was extremely happy that his name went up at the end of every episode as well. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. So what did you have to do in the audition? Do you remember? We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little you mean? Yeah, yeah, we all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying to oh, yeah, yeah. Try, try, oh, try, yeah. try get them on there. Yeah. 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 We all artists, man. We go you feel me? We gonna have this like Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit. Right now. With this I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I gotta don't lie. don't play with it. Don't play with it. No. Take that shit serious. Uh, it was a reading. Um, they gave me a script to read, and I don't even remember who I read with. Actually, I think it might have been one of the one of the one of the producers maybe i don't know I, it's so long ago and were you did you know at that point you were going to be the receptionist was that the plan or were you would you audition for yes, something yes i was else? i was yeah. put up for the role of of the receptionist um which in hindsight you know i was the only one who got to wear clothes everybody else had to wear uniforms or you know nurses uniforms so going shopping like that i i can remember them taking me to I think it might have been Allen International or whatever to get my hair uh, cut and um, styled for the show. And they, they took all the color out of the front of my head and they would dye it different colors every week, pretty much. I had a different color in my hair. The first one was aubergine and then it kind of went from there. Had green hair, blue hair. <laughs> You're like the Mrs. Uh, Slocum of casualty. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And uh and so then they took me shopping, you know, for clothes for the character, which was interesting. And I was very shy. Uh and even though I was quite petite at the time, I was I didn't feel I wasn't confident enough to be, you know, the sexy Susie. I wanted to be, you know, yeah, I'll wear the clothes, but I'm going to hide underneath them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yes, it was, it was, they were always trying to persuade me to do more daring things. And the most daring thing they ever got me to do, and I can remember hating every minute of it, was, um, they got me to do this photo shoot on top of a car. I had to wear this leather mini skirt and it was freezing cold. And, uh, and I had to lie across this car because Susie was, uh, the character was, um, getting photos done. Um, I can't remember for what reason now. And so that, yes, I had to have this photo shoot done so they could use the shots in the show. And that was probably the worst moment of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what was she supposed to be like then as a character? What was the, what was the plan? And did that, come off or did you evolve her as things went time went on she i think the thing is with susie was that she was she was 
smart, knew her job. I think she was, she, but she was also very nosy and needed to know everything. Um, she was almost a bit of a radar in a way, but, um, you didn't really see much of her private life. I think she dated a, a, a policeman for a while. Um, and they didn't really know what to do with me. I think they were, they weren't quite sure how to write about my character outside of work. Yeah. No, so I... my storyline from that perspective, I don't think ever really developed. Um, I did have quite a, a, you saw a lot more of her when there was the episode with the disco where she's, um, taking someone back to casualty in the car, which again was another frightening experience because, uh, at the time I, um, I was very short sighted and, um, I, I don't think I had my contacts in that day. But I had to drive this car without my glasses on with a camera crew in the back and hit the space between an ambulance and another vehicle in this, uh, Volkswagen Golf or Polo. And I was terrified I had to, I had to drive in the dark, <laughs> make sure I didn't kill everybody in the car <laughs> and, and look panicked. I think that it, I truthfully did have a panic on my face. <laughs> You were the first person to speak in casualty, or the first words to be heard in casualty. Do you actually remember filming those very first scenes? We filmed at BBC Centre to begin with. All the interior was done at BBC Centre. And then the second year we, we shot in Bristol in a warehouse. They built the set. So I remember the first time going into the set because, of course, we'd done all rehearsals in in a empty room. So actually seeing the set for the first time was was bizarre. It was like suddenly that was going to be your home for two weeks because each episode took two weeks to shoot. Um, so I kind of remember the first time of seeing the set. I don't know that I necessarily remember shooting that scene. I spent a lot of time behind that desk <laughs> and in the background moving around because I was, because the desk was right in the middle. So I used to get called for a lot of shots that I wasn't speaking in because they needed to see me moving around in the background. So I spent a lot of time behind that desk. <laughs> yeah. Because in a hospital, you'd be doing all the admin bits, wouldn't you? And you'd have to be there. Exactly. And, yeah, exactly. And answering the phones and. Yeah. 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 I mean, how, how, how difficult is that for an actor? I mean, you see it often in things like, you know, Coronation Street, people behind the Rovers and all the rest of it. Um, and they've got to look as though they're busy doing things, haven't they? And whatever. I mean, how, I mean, with you, I suppose you at least had things to do because you know that that was your role if you had been a hospital. But I, I presume for some, sometimes it can be a pain in the backside, can't it? That trying to look active. Well, it can be tiring because you're, you're not actively part of the scene you're just in the background and you've got to make sure that you're in the shot so trying to find enough stuff to do within that parameter because you're not just you you do walk in and out but you're also you've only got this much space as it were in the screen so that could be hard sometimes too because you 
you don't want to interrupt what's going on in the front, but you need to be seen to be actively in the back. Yeah. No, so, I, yeah, I get that. I get that. So when it first started, I mean, did you envisage at the time, I mean, you, obviously you, you, you knew about the TV was huge then and still is huge now, but viewing figures were massive for things like Juliet Bravo and Minder and others. We know that. Um, and you were getting a main part in this new Saturday night uh, series, which in, in in effect was replacing Juliet Bravo, wasn't it really? Because Juliet Bravo had been on for a number of years at that eight o'clock slot on, yes. a, on, a, on a Saturday night. Um, did you contemplate or envisage how your life might change in terms of people recognising you and all those kinds no, of things? No, not at all. I I think that the reality was when, you know, you'd be walking around the supermarket and people would start pointing at you as if you're not there as well. You know, they talk about you as if you're not there. And uh, that was kind of bizarre because then you, ha- then you feel um, you kind of felt like you had to have a certain persona. Um, and it was almost a little creepy at times. I mean, we were getting fan mail. Um, after the first episode, I remember the fan mail came in and I actually got fan mail from, and that was weird too. Uh, and it was, it was really positive for me. Some of the other actors got strange fan mail and, uh, I think a few of them got proposals and all sorts of things, but, um, most of my fan mail was about the character and about how they really enjoyed seeing this character that was not stereotyped um which i was very grateful for because that was the uh, for me that was important that uh she was just seen as another person and not put into these boxes and she was also quite trendy as well wasn't she yeah i mean you know uh I can't, it's funny because I, I think about the makeup goals. Because of course I had to wear, I was the one wearing the most. Um, and you know, I'm not really as, as a, as myself, I don't really wear makeup. So it's, it, it was bizarre having to go through the hair and the makeup and the clothes and everything else. It, it really was a total change for me. Um, but no, I enjoyed the, the, I enjoyed the fact that people appreciated her as a character. Um, I do remember getting the most bizarre fan mail one time though. This guy asked if he could have two, two pictures, one for his locker and one for his pocket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You get them all out there. Um, <laughs> On that first program, um, the first episode, which went out, on, I think, on the 6th of September 1986, where you uh, uttered the first words, do you remember the storyline that day? Because you were involved in the first storyline, weren't you, right at the very beginning? Yes, it was a chemical spill. And uh, the character Cuba, Christopher, and I were trying to solve the mystery. And he he went digging around to see if he could come up with an answer to curing people. 
It was something to do with symptoms, wasn't it? Somebody else. Yes, been... it was symptoms and they didn't match up to whatever the chemical was. And nobody seemed to know what the chemical was. That and, was and you were trying the... to find this former patient's files and things. If I remember That's right. right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I haven't seen that episode in many, many years. Well, I'm sure it'll end up being repeated uh, later this year, <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> and Ashley's chat with Debbie Rosa, who played Casualty's original receptionist, will continue on Distinct Nostalgia in just a few minutes. As well as amazing interviews just like the one you're listening to now, the Distinct Nostalgia podcast is also home to an epic radio quiz. Oh, I've never heard of it. Where listeners just like you go head-to-head on their favourite TV shows and films and put their general knowledge to the test. There's a bonus point if you can sing the theme tune, but I know you're not going to, are you? Skippy, 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 the bush kangaroo is all I can remember of that. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that earns you a point. Yeah, I'll go for that. A brand new season of the Distinct Nostalgia Mind of the Month quiz is almost here, and it needs you. Prisoner cell block. Cell block B. Prisoner cell block H. Simply pick your favourite TV show or film and get in touch at distinctnostalgia.com or by messaging us on Twitter. Have a go at three British films. Just have a guess. Oh, whistle down the wind. Carry on up the Khyber. Um, No, this is rubbish. I'm sorry. No, I don't know. (laughs) They're not bad attempts, actually. And the two leading minds from across the month compete head-to-head in the final for a coveted Distinct Nostalgia mug. It's almost like a trophy. The Distinct Nostalgia Mind of the Month quiz. Got there in the end. (laughs) Coming this autumn. Oh, that's amazing. They always are. (laughs) So what about the what about the cast then? Because obviously there's a much smaller cast then, like there is in all these programmes now. Now there's huge numbers of people. Um, did you know anybody beforehand? Did you did you work with any of the people you were you starring with before? Um, well, I I had worked with Jeff. Before, yeah, yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. But he was in season two. Uh, I hadn't actually met any of the other cast members before, um, which was really nice and and. Uh, Lisa, Kathy, and I became fast friends, um, and we still keep in touch. Uh, Derek, of course, was the main star of the show, along with um, Megan, um, Brenda. Uh, they were the two leads. Um, and for Lisa and I, it was the first television, I think we'd, well, the first series that we'd ever done. Um, I think maybe Kathy, it might have been her first series as well. So we were newbies and, you know, we had to follow the lead really of the, the, the bigger stars. You know, you were, you were making sure that you held your own. And they weren't bothered in those days about that because, in fact, in fact, it was an important thing, wasn't it? Even in the soaps, you know, they never really, Coronation Street and the others, they never really wanted big names. They wanted people who were new, either new to it or weren't known so that they could become those characters and be believed as, as characters. Exactly. Whereas now there always seems to be a de- desperation to get a known person in something, you know what I mean? That's right. Well, I, I joked about um, that I think Susie should come back as a mean administrator. You know, she's that she's worked her way up to to uh, running a hospital and comes back as the mean administrator. <laughs> did you have to know much at all, apart from obviously what was in the script? But did they give you any? I mean, you weren't one of the medics, 
but you were an admin no, person no. and receptionists are quite important. In fact, you were saying earlier on about uh, um, she was a little bit nosy about different things. Well, I have to say that the receptionists at my doctor's surgery are very much like that <laughs> on a regular <laughs> basis. So uh, I'm sure it's very, very real in that way. But did you have to understand a bit about the, the medical issues that were being talked about in each programme or not? Not really. I mean, the others went off and had to learn how to suture and they they learnt um, more of the medical jargon than I ever had to learn. I don't remember ever having to even talk about medical issues particularly. Um, and I think that, that Christopher and I were really the, the comic relief. <laughs> you know, so... Uh, it wasn't so important for us to know all of that. And we did have a nurse uh, on hand, Peter, who would advise us if we wanted to know certain things. And he would tell us stories about things that would come into casual, like real casualties, um, which were quite frightening and not to be repeated. But <laughs> um, he definitely had stories to tell. Yeah, you say you were the comic relief, and you probably were in that sense. I mean, it needs it now, actually. I mean, it's a great programme, and it does really well, but as things have gone on, there's much more focus on the very, very dark and serious and whatever, and it needs. I think it needs a bit more light relief, which you provided. Just remind us of some of those lighter moments, some of the things that you and he were doing or would add to a programme that sort of made people, would make people smile. I got locked in the toilet for an episode. And, uh, and actually there's a shot of, uh, and I can't remember the, the guy who played the policeman, but he find, they finally find me and he has to break the door down. Well, when they were filming it, he really did break the door down and I was pinned against the wall with this door <laughs> stuck underneath my chin, basically. Um, and I think they kept that shot in. Well, that happens. <laughs> People do get stuck in toilets. They do, don't they? You know, uh, it does happen. But yes, I I did get, but that was one of the storylines was me getting stuck in the toilet. And then, of course, there were there was all the, I think I had banter with uh, Bernard as well, you know, on various things because uh, he was a great actor, Bernard. Such a sad loss that he's no longer here. And well, Christopher too. You know, they've both passed on now, which is a shame. Absolutely. And um, when did you, obviously this is going out on a Saturday night and people started to watch it in their droves. When did you realise, though, that it was as big as it was? When did you, when did you all realise, do you think, that actually... I think after season one, because um, you know that they, they wanted to take us off after season one, um, because politically we were, they said that we were misrepresenting the National Health Service. You were challenging. Exactly. So when, uh, after season one, the fans basically stepped up and that's why it kept going. Um, so I think that's when you realise that the power of the series and the writing and everything at that point um was really important to people they they really wanted to know about they they really liked the characters and they wanted to see more of them 
In terms of your character, then, as you say, she she didn't get into mass. You didn't get to know masses about her because of the role that she had, and they didn't seem to explore that. If you'd stayed in longer, they probably would have done. They might have. You might have been. You know, they may have promoted you, or something may have happened. You know, in that sense. Um, what would you though? What would you like to have seen her do or, or, or take on? You know, if you could have been in charge of that side of things, what what kind of things do you think she'd have been good at? I think it would have been interesting to explore her outside of the, from behind the desk, you know. Um, because I think she 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 was a pretty smart woman and I think that she, what she would have done outside of, her role would have could have been quite interesting um and as i said to you jokingly i think that she would it would be quite funny to see her come back as you know the mean administrator um because i think she's she probably could have become quite powerful if she put her mind to it uh she was pretty strong-willed i think she would have uh she would have got where she wanted to go um, and I think I think maybe that's what she went on to do is is that's what I'd like to think that the character kind of went on to better places. We'll, we'll talk about the later stages in a minute, but tell us a bit about the romance. Remind us of the 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 romance, the little bit of romance that did happen for her in the in the show. Yeah, she had uh, she had the policeman who really liked her. I think it was John Mitchie. Yeah, he was Guy Self in Casualty. Really? There you go, <laughs> Guy Self. Did you get Did you get to snog him? Uh, did we have a kiss? Um, you know what? I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> it was that Isn't memorable. That terrible. It was that memorable. Yeah, it was a constable that used to come into the Casualty, and he had a bit of a thing for her. And uh, it was played by John Mitchie. Um, he was in a couple of episodes. I think he might have been in about three. And you kind of see that she obviously had some kind of relationship with him, but they didn't really explore it. Uh, they just kind of alluded to it. Yeah, he played a character. The character he played um, was Guy Self. And he's been in Casualty um, several times over the years. Uh, and he's also been in Holby City as well, the spin-off. And, Interesting. And, and he was in Coronation Street for a couple of years in the early 2000s, no, the mid-2000s. And he also played a main part in Taggart, which is the Scottish um, crime drama. So right. yeah, So, so yeah, you... you um, he, he, I think, I think casu- the early casualty was among his first, the first things he did. I think, um, probably. So, and he's also done presenting. He's done quite a lot of presenting as well and films. So, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, he was Guy Self, um, John Mitchie, fantastic. And I mean, but it didn't go anywhere. Did it just fizzle out then? That romance. Or, yeah, they kind of, they kind of let it go. I, don't, I think they didn't quite know. I don't know whether they just didn't want to have to have another character i don't know and that it was never talked about in any of the other episodes after that i think she kind of said oh it didn't work out or something like that and that was the end of it, <laughs> it was like, right you're done <laughs> she just carried on with the admin <laughs> yeah carry on with the admin she liked her filing better <laughs> so 
when you look back at it now, um, those er very early years, you know, what do you make of it? I mean, it's 35 years. I mean, you know, it was obviously an important moment in your in your life, I presume, when you think back. Oh, yes. Um, it's hard to believe it's 35 years. I seem to remember they had a party for one of the milestones, but I don't remember which one, maybe 20. And I, I, I kind of find it funny that it's like still holding its popularity. I mean, it's the longest hospital running hospital drama in the world. Yeah. And you, Scary. you would have grown up like I did, um, seeing other hospital dramas, things like General Hospital and, of course, um, Angels and all these yes. other things that existed. Yeah. Um, what do you think was different about Casualty? What was different about it compared to the other ones, do you think? I think it was the first time that we got to the nitty-gritty of the National Health Service and some of the flaws. I mean, we weren't showing perfection. We were trying to show reality and... Uh, I think that's what really struck home with most people was that this wasn't, this was a bit more down and dirty. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And and the other thing is, you know, um, all these people are human beings, aren't they? They've all got lives that's right. inside and outside. That's right. They're all affected by everything. And, and, you know, you're not, you know, when they do the ridiculous hours that they do, you're going to be affected by the events, aren't you, as well? Do you know what I mean? Well, I, I you know, there's a scene... Um, well, in that same episode that I've talked about where I had to drive the car in and I think the, at the end of the episode, you see me in the shower and I'm basically washing the blood off. But also, you know, it was a very traumatic and emotional moment for that character. Um, and I think they, they wanted to show the flaws, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, like you said, it, there wasn't perfection in those those people we all had our own flaws um and that's what made people like the characters even more because they could identify with that now no. you, you said that, they, that she didn't have huge storylines she was in and out of different things but how did it transpire over though we'll work up to you know when you left and why you left and whatever in a moment but you know how did how did she did she change a bit over the time was the you know was she was she a bit different from from the first episode to the one that you finished at the end of the second series yeah i think she matured i think that when she first started she was a little bit more flighty and by the end of it she was a lot more serious um which might have been the downfall of her character in a sense that starting off as the comic relief and then kind of I, I think that the, uh, I think the writers struggled with her. I think they weren't sure how, how to evolve her. And that was, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, she was in two seasons and they didn't really know what to do with her. Do you know what I mean? Did you get much interaction with, um, you know, with, with Kathy's character or with Megan or Charlie? Did you, were you involved with them a fair bit? Uh, with Kathy's character. Um, there's certainly the, the episode where Kathy is attacked and there's a lot of interaction between the two because we were supposed to be good friends. You know, we were friends out of the hospital as well. Um, so I think with her character, I had more interaction than with, uh, Derek's or with, uh, Brenda's. 
Um, I was a bit more detached from them. And then, of course, I talked to Lisa. I had a lot of scenes with uh, Lisa and Bob Pugh because they were coming into the front desk with patients. Um, but no, I think, I, and of course, with Christopher's character, because we we were the front line for the, the hospital. Yeah, yeah. And do you remember, because one of the things about being the front line for the hospital um is that literally <laughs> you're you are on the front line in the sense of you know people are coming into the hospital they're trying to find find where things are getting confused and annoyed and whatever uh they might be a bit stressed out or whatever it may be um do you think that was reflected quite well the fact that you know you that tension there's often you know when we always at the A&E the other night here in, in Manchester and you know, everyone was having to queue up and people were getting annoyed because the receptionist was taking ages to go through things. And, you know, there's always something, isn't there? Do you think that was reflected well? Uh, yeah, sometimes. I don't know that, that we ex- explored. I mean, I, the thing was is that at the time, most reception areas had glass in front of them, which ours didn't. And so... We were very open for attack if you wanted to look at it from that perspective. Um, and, and a lot of A&Es have glass in front of them because people do try and attack the people behind the desk. So you are in a, in a danger zone. Um, I don't think that that was, that was the, the point of the storylines though. I don't think that they wanted to show that. Uh, I think there was a couple of times there were fights that broke out in the, in the, front lobby but they were never there was never really anything directed at me except i think there was an episode where we had uh skinheads in the in the episode and well it was the 80s it was the 80s you had to have skinheads skinheads yeah um so that i think was probably the most kind of racially charged episode that we did um and did you get any res- on that race, the race side of things? And I know you were saying how, you know, uh, you didn't want it to be token and all the rest of it, and you got a good response to the fact that it wasn't. But did you get any, you know, um, w- was there any correspondence on that? Was there any press on that? Did they, did it become an issue in any way, shape, or form within this? Not necessarily to do with you, but generally within the series while you were there. No, I don't think so. I think that, um, I think. The fact that she was not put into a slot uh, gave the writers more latitude for a start. Um, and I've still, it's still amusing. I think I still have my badge that says Susie Mercier on it somewhere. Uh, because I was, it always amused me that they, they actually didn't come up with another name. You know, it was like they, I think they were afraid to quite kind of pick a name. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I think I think uh she herself um because of the type of character too. I mean, if I'd have been a traditional if they'd have if they'd have made me a traditional character or, or stereotype, I wouldn't have had the dyed hair. I wouldn't have had the clothes. I would have been quite boring, really. Not to say that that's you know. I know what you mean. Rephrase that, but you know what I mean. It's like the character wouldn't have been the same. 
yeah, for you, sure. Yeah, no, I understand that. So, as you say, she changed over that time. Did you change? And, you know, did you get a bit frustrated with the fact that the character wasn't being developed? Sometimes. I mean, I think that uh, with any actor, you want to have development of your character. Um, and I did sort of feel like she got shortchanged sometimes. Uh, but you know, that, that's the way things go. You can't, you can't force that and you do the best that you can with the character that you have and you want to make her as, as likable as possible. Um, even if you're not getting that development, you need to develop your own character in a sense. You need to make sure that it works with what the writing is. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, um, so you did two two series of it. Um, yes. What was the, was it your decision to go or their decision to get rid of you? What was the what who made that? Decision? Um, I think it was a it was mutual. I think they just didn't really know where to take me, and I felt like, you know, I can stand in the background for a long time, or I can move on, and and it just seemed the right time for her to leave. Uh, I don't think they had a storyline actually because it was the end of season two and then they didn't know if they were going to go to season three. And then at that point we can't have made the decision. And so season three started without her. Um, I don't think they ever gave a reason as to where she went. Yeah. I don't know what the audience, I mean that they may have sent letters asking, but I have no idea what the reaction was to my departure. I mean, they might have been quite happy. <laughs> but no, I don't know. I really don't know what the reaction was. And Ashley's chat with Debbie Rosa, who played Casualty's original receptionist, will continue on Distinct Nostalgia in just a few minutes. The Awesome arrives on Distinct Nostalgia with a host of new soap, drama, comedy and entertainment treats, including Casualty at 35. We mark the show's milestone birthday. Distinct Nostalgia meets a woman who became one of the main female faces fans took to their heart for several decades. Kathy Shipton, who became Duffy. So you'd go into this rehearsal room. The whole room is laid out like the studio set. They've got it there and you haven't got a clue. And then they've got poles and they're saying the poles are the edge of the cubicles. So all of us will be going in going... And <laughs> my first shot, I walked in on the real set in BBC Studio D in White City and I went... And they went, Kathy, you don't have to do that because there's a real curtain, you know, all of this ridiculousness. And we've other casualty blasts from the past as we repeat our conversation with Jonathan Kerrigan. And then there's some intriguing soap specials. We're meeting the first Tracy, Christabel Finch, who played the character from her birth in 1977. It felt very normal because it been like ever since I was a baby, I'd been there every single week filming. Get out of school, get out of the spelling test and go down to the studios. My friends were not very aware of it. And I remember one person saying to me, saying, are you on Sesame Street? And I was like, no, I'm on Coronation Street. And we've a surprise Emmerdale reunion. 
there's also a magpie reunion. What was very different about us is, first of all, we were all much better looking. Um, (laughs) I never said that. (laughs) I think we were younger than the Blue Peter presenters. You know, just a bit more in tune with the people that watched us. We had seven million people watching twice a week. And Tim Vincent goes in search of Valerie Singleton, bumping into other Blue Peter stars along the way. Stuart Miles, Tim Vincent, as I never breathe. Uh, what are you calling me for? What do you want? Well, I'm actually looking for uh, Valerie Singleton's number, but of course, I'm checking in on you. Trips to Sun Hill and the Bill. Memories of Darling Buds of May, The Tomorrow People, and interviews with classic stars Jeanette Scott and Melvin Hayes, and legendary TV composer Dennis King. Our great sitcom writer series continues as we sit down with Clement and Lafrenet, who penned Porridge and The Likely Lads. That had an instant response. The very next day, I was shooting a commercial, and nobody had any idea that I had anything to do with it, but I heard them all talking about it, and that, that made me feel that maybe we had another hit. And as well as all that, we've got the quiz. Oh, it's amazing. Oh. A bumper autumn of memories. Only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. So you had two years in it. Obviously, you became very well known and very well recognised. And I'm sure there were people who would talk to you in the street and think you were that character. I'm sure that happened because that happens for most actors, doesn't it, at some point. Um, You know, what did it do for you and and why did you decide to change tack at that particular point? Well, I was, there were a number of things in my life, my personal life, that um, that I, I felt I wanted another adventure. And we, I was married to a Canadian. So we made the decision to move to Canada uh, the first time around, because this is my second time in Canada. Um, and so we ended up moving to Alberta. And we stayed there for not quite five years. And I had my daughter there. So then uh, we moved back to the UK. Um, and we were in the UK until 2005. Because I moved back to Canada in 2005. And we, we now live in Nova Scotia. And we, we love it here. Um, and, my, and my career has kind of taken a, a path I... I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew that the arts were still part of my life. So I did do an arts administration course while I was in Alberta and I went into marketing and communications, which seemed a logical step. For the arts mainly, yeah. For, yeah, into, for, into the arts. I mean, I, I and then I did some fundraising for a while and then I've moved sectors since then. I went from from the arts to healthcare, and now I work in, believe it or not, waste management. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm an educator for for a waste management company. And, so it's um, and you've caught the Canadian accent a little bit, haven't you? Not have completely. I? Yeah, I don't can, know. I, I I get people here who say I sound very English, but then my friends in the UK will say, "Yes, I can hear the twang." It's a sort of mid-Atlantic, sort of Canadian-British kind of, yeah, yeah, it's strange. So what, so what accent did you have in the UK? What was your original accent then? 
Uh, well, I was, well, when I moved to the UK, I actually had a West Indian accent. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then I went to school in the UK and uh, I ended up with, I guess, a South London accent because I grew up in Wimbledon. Right. Right. Um, and then as I, I sort of moved further north in my travels in my life, because I lived in Reading for a while, then I lived in um, Warwickshire for a while and. You know, my accent is a now a, a mix of all sorts of things. And, and of course, moving to Canada, I've had to adapt with my wording and things like that. Drives me crazy that they still, they put a Z in organizations. Yes, that annoys <laughs> me as well. It annoys me as well. Yeah, yeah. I remember I was in newspapers in the old days when they had, before computers, when they had bromides. And, and, and you'd have these uh, big bromide sheets that you'd have to go and look at. And I was a deputy editor. And my editor at the time, back in the 90s, would spell everything with a Z. And I used to go th- go through and cut out every Z and put S's in. And you never noticed. You never noticed. <laughs> but it really annoys yes. me. It's really annoying. It does annoy me too. And they spell program without the M-E at the end. Yeah. So I- that... Well, that's that ca- that's, drives me crazy too. That's catching on over here now, sadly, because so well, so many things are Americanized, aren't they? And you know, it yes. just becomes the normal. And I say to people, that's a computer program, not a TV program or a radio program. You know what I mean? Yes. They can't get they can't get it into the head. But yeah, no, it's strange. So, what's it like in Nova Scotia? It sounds a beautiful place, beautiful part of the world. It is very beautiful. We live in the Annapolis Valley, which is uh, very agricultural. We actually have a small farm ourselves. And uh, it's kind of what I would call a cross between the UK and Canada. It's very, well, Nova Scotia means New Scotland anyway. Yeah. And as the crow flies, so, you're not that far away, really, are you? Four, it's four hours away. No, I think, uh, I think by, it's about six hours by plane, just under. Um, and it's, we're on the east coast of Canada. So the east coasters are very proud. Um, they would say the east coast is the best coast. Uh, but it's a great place. You know, it reminds me of the UK in the early days of farm markets and community. And that's what I really like about it. I think we have a great community here and people do know each other and they do help each other out. And, uh, we've been made to feel part of the community and that's, that's been important to us. Fantastic. And have you ever thought about going back into acting at all? Is it something you've considered or? Oh, I joke about it. But <laughs> like I said, Susie is the mean, mean administrator. Um, I don't, I don't know that it's uh, something that I hanker for on a daily basis, but, uh, you know, it's been fun to talk about it. Yeah, and, and, and to think that you've been part of history, really, in terms of television, not just in Britain absolutely. but around the world, because it's watched in lots absolutely. of different countries, isn't it? You know, and I, you're I a tr- and you're a tr- is, uh, and you're a tr- and you're a trivia question, of course. And I'm a trivia question, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, now, my I've hand, handed the mantle to my daughter, who is a, a musician and has a band called Roxy and the Underground Soul Sound. Uh, and she is, uh, she is now taken up that role from me with performing. Uh, they're an awesome band, actually. Brilliant. One of these days they'll get to tour the UK. But, uh, <laughs> and does she know much about a, a, a mum's history in television? You obviously told her. Oh, about yes. It, yeah. She embarrasses me at any moment she can. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't really talk much about casualty, funnily enough. People bring it up and I kind of get quite, quite embarrassed about it. Not because I'm ashamed of it, but just because it seems so far away from what I do now. You know? Do you remember the iconic theme tune? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. And somebody put words to it. They put words to it and it also became a dance track for a while as well. Did it? Yeah, in the 90s, wow. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I'm going to have to check that out. <laughs> the, pro- um, the problem now is they, I don't know if they do this in Canada, but they have the habit of not respecting the theme tunes now at the end of TV programmes and they talk all over it. And it's like, that is such an iconic theme. We want to hear it. You know what I mean? And they're just telling you well, what's coming up next, you know. So. You know that ER, ER started after us. And if you listen to the ER soundtrack or the theme tune, it's very, very similar. Yes. So we always wondered if they pinched it. And just revamped it. <laughs> Maybe they did. Maybe they did. But it did inspire a lot of other programmes, didn't it? You know. Yes, um, it did. Well, Holby City came out of Casualty. It did, yeah. Sadly, uh, that sadly that's just been axed after 20, after twenty two years. Yeah, they've wow. decided they're getting rid of it to make way for some new soaps from other parts of the country because there's a lot of pressure in the UK at the moment. You probably know this. A lot of pressure to. I think everyone's worried about the potential breakup of the UK and so they're they're thinking about doing more um soaps that connect with other parts of the UK um in the slot that casualty occupied for interesting for 22 years but casualty is safe so casualty is fine that's not going anywhere so well after 35 years I mean Derek has been in that show for 35 years yes he moved to Bristol and all the rest of it although although the well, program he moved, itself he had moved to Bristol when we started shooting in season two but the program itself moves to has moved to cardiff now of course it's all done in cardiff so right yeah yeah right so. i forgot about that yeah. yes because because they did have the warehouse in bristol and the outside of the er was actually the brunel tech college there was yeah they had a they just had the emergency sign on the outside of one of the doors at brunel tech and has, has canada got an equivalent of casualty or er of its own uh, not that I can think of. I suppose General Hospital, which is American, would be um the nearest to a hospital series. Well, actually, they have a show now called The Transplant. Okay. Which um is about a Syrian uh immigrant who is a doctor and he goes to work in the hospital in uh, Toronto. Um, which is actually a pretty good series. Uh, it's, it's a little different to casualty, but it's, it's, uh, hospital based. Um, and of course, the, the Americans tend to copy a lot of what the Brits do. So you do get shows that you can see that they've watched something in the UK and decided that it's a really good, um, but you still get the you still get some British stuff in Canada. Obviously, Coronation Street is still very popular in Canada, isn't it? it still gets shown in Canada. Yes, I know a lot of people who still watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe what is it sixty years old or something. I think he's, he's sixty one this year. Yeah, sixty one years old. Yeah, yeah. yeah and true. again, Ken Barlow. I know he's had that many that many girlfriends and wives and gone as well. And wives, and he's still alive. How old is he? He's about 89 80, or something? 86, 87, something like that. 87, yeah, yeah, yeah something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. The Queen went went to visit the uh, visit the set the other day. Um, she, several of the other royal family have been there, but she's not been for about forty years. So she went, and uh, apparently she's supposed to be a fan. So anyway, she went along. But um, but yeah, no, it, it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, it, it's just. 
it's interesting that you took that decision after, I suppose at the end of the day, everyone's lives are different and you've got important things that matter in your life. But, you know, that it was such, you, you, you ended your acting career in a way on a high, which is the way it should be, isn't it, really, in a way? Well, I'd like to think that I went out on a high. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had the opportunity to do a lot of different things. I feel like uh, my life has definitely not been boring. And uh, with or without the acting, I've certainly had lots of adventures. So I've met lots of really good pe- good people along the way. I really enjoyed my time working in the theatre and doing the shows that I did do. I mean, I, I was very fortunate at the time. And as I mentioned to you at the beginning, there were like five of us that would go up for the same parts. So... You know, you'd, you'd soon find out if your competition had work and your chances were higher of getting the job. You know, <laughs> who's working? Are they working? That means they're out of it. <laughs> they're out of the running. <laughs> do you think, just final question, do you th- you were, we started at the beginning talking about how your character wasn't stereotyped, which is, which is good, it's great. Um, but there still are too many stereotypes, aren't there? We still I agree. We still haven't got out of that, really, in, in British um, programme-making, American programme-making, I suppose, even Canadian. You know, it's still there, isn't it? It still exists, that, that sort of tendency to, you know, to not think beyond that, unfortunately. I agree. And I, and I think it's a real shame that writers can't see beyond that, that, you know, it's because it has to do with the writing. Um, I mean, I do remember when shows basically would have a token person in it just to make up the numbers. You know, they'd tick the right boxes and get their funding. And that was the, that's the reality. And I think now, uh, it's kind of leaning the other way as well with the things that have happened in the world in the last couple of years. We've almost gone the, reverse and i just think that people can be cast as people i don't think that you need to have somebody fit a box um so from my perspective i think uh the changes in the way things are done need to reflect the communities that are out there they it needs to reflect the way that people live together rather than saying, well, we have to have this person and this culture and this uh, religion and this to make a, a good theme. Absolutely. But often they often don't even explore the cultures, do they? You know, you'll get you'll get programmes and there's various token, you know, people from different backgrounds within them and they might do the odd little story about something and then they move on to the next thing and you think to yourself, there's more to those people that, that, you know, there are interesting things about old cultures which we don't explore. I mean, I'm from a, you know, I, I'm, I tick the LGBT box and I often get frustrated by the fact that every single soap or whatever will do a coming out story or they'll do something that, you know, ticks the box kind of thing and then they'll move on. Yes. Or that character becomes, again, a stereotype. But actually, if, you're, if, you, if you live and eat and breathe and you're part of the LGBT world relationships, there are lots of different things and considerations that we go through as people which people in the straight world don't and it never gets explored at all never gets talked about you know because i think there's a fear there's a fear of getting it wrong as well yeah 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 and that or or 
at making it look like that's the only path. And I think that's why our television and, and movies don't, don't explore things correctly, if that's the right phrasing. Um, it's, it's, it's sad that we feel the need to decide what somebody is as opposed to explore what, who somebody is. Yes, no, absolutely. That, yeah, you couldn't say it better. Couldn't say it better. Um, finally, back to casualty then. Um, let's end on a, a light note, if we can, with regards to casualty. Casualty is, you know, as I say, is very serious a lot of the time. There's always death and destruction and all sorts of things going on. It, get, it gets, it, as you know, TV's become very, everything's more and more and more and more dramatic now compared to what it used to be. And I presume in the old days, of course, there were, would be moments in casualty. There wasn't necessarily lots of things going on because casualty departments do have quiet times occasionally as well. But was there anything, is there anything when you listen back, you, so you look back in your mind, you think back in your mind, um, that you'll always remember from casualty? Is there any sort of anecdote or is there any funny thing that happened or just something that, you know, when, you know, you'll, you'll, and now and again, you'll think about something, you think, oh yeah, you know, is there anything that sticks in your mind? I think, uh, I think the actors who were in the show, we we had a good team you know i think that we worked well together and as i i mentioned to you before i i still keep in touch with uh lisa and um and uh kathy yeah. uh, well it's through kathy that we got this interview going isn't it <laughs> yes that's right and um it's funny because lisa was in season 1 and half of season 2 she was killed off and she actually was um Appeared again in Casualty many years later. <laughs> As a different and character. One of the background, one of the background uh, extras, when she came to the set, said, aren't you dead? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the background actors as well were were a great group of people because they appeared in every show like they had more appearances than most of us and you had to have they, them didn't you in casualty because you have to have exactly them numbers, yeah. but they would be you know you'd see them in coronation street one week then you'd see them in in casualty and then you'd see them in something else and you got to know the background actors <laughs> from all the shows they were doing yeah and they and they knew everything they actually knew how all the sh like they they should have been continuity people yeah yeah no absolutely they do I, i've i've met a few in uh, who've done that and also there's a guy I interviewed not so long ago who's who's, t who's actually had six or seven very small roles in coronation street over the years and his knowledge of the street and again the continuity is is fantastic but of course the the viewers notice continuity as well don't they they get quite they annoyed when like coronation street recently had a storyline that was very similar to something that happened about 20 years ago and i remember people saying on some forum you know well so and so and so uh, was involved in such and such and lives next door to them why didn't they go around and ask them what you know what happened to them and it's like people remember these things don't they you know? <laughs> i know i know it's it's frightening it is frightening. I can't remember what happened last week, you know, <laughs> no. much less 35 years ago. No, I think I'm, I'm exactly the same. I'm exactly the same. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us. It's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you. No, thank you for inviting me. 
next time as we continue to celebrate Casualty at 35, we're in conversation with one of the show's much-loved original lineup, someone who became part of the hospital fixtures and fittings for years. Because I never thought they were going to give me a job. It's the BBC who's going to give me an unknown a job. I went in, I was cheeky, I was chatting, um, he didn't ask me about acting, he, we just had a chat, we just had a conversation. I, I'd had a dodgy ankle and uh, I'd had to work on it and I, you know, if you're doing a theatre job you have to work. So I bandaged up this ankle and then carried on with the play. Three weeks later I went in to see a nurse and she tore strips off me. So he was quite interested that I wasn't saying all nurses were angels, you know. Got home, of course the answer machine's going mad. And they go, you've got it, you've got it, you've got it. And I said, what, what? The job, you've got, you've got to come into the office, we've got a champagne, you've got it. And that, that, my life turned around in like two days. Yes, we've been chatting to none other than Kath Shipton, who played Duffy. That's next this autumn, only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. Podcast.